Hey y'all, and welcome to the very first episode of 1-800-Y2K. I'm Raviv, and holy shit, I can't even begin to express how excited I am to start this podcast. I have two others. One is just a personal podcast that's on hold for right now. Uh, It's called Hurricane Hope, and the other is a true crime podcast called Criminal Mind. But the prospect of starting 1-800-Y2K hit my soul in the most positive way possible, and it brought me so much unended joy to think of this concept and start working it out. The idea for 1-800-Y2K came to be just a few weeks ago when I actually made this Y2K-themed playlist for myself on Spotify. I am an avid Apple Music user, I admit, but I decided to use the free trial of Spotify to try it out, and I made this playlist, and instead of filling it with well-known Y2K hits, I wanted to make a playlist that contained lesser-known tracks. That's always been something that I'm like oddly obsessed with, is listening to music by artists that most people might not know, like Hidden Gems, And the early 2000s have a goldmine of artists that released some crazy good songs, but then unfortunately they kind of fell off the train and we don't hear much about them anymore. I added like 200 songs to this playlist and I tend to listen to music from the late 90s and early 2000s as if the music was new because it just fills me with unedited and unfiltered happiness. We were all much younger then, and I'm a 90s child, I was born in 1993, so the Y2K years were an era that I clearly remember when it comes to music releases. I think about the music I discovered and obsessively listened to on CDs, or ripped on LimeWire, rip, or made mix CDs of, and it just feels fresh. You know, that was a time period where things were lighter, and things were airier, and I hate to say more quote-unquote innocent, but the music that was created and produced at the beginning of the millennium had such a youthful flow to it, and anyone who goes back and listens to it now can't help but feel genuinely happy. And that's what led me to 1-800-Y2K, a simple but in-depth playlist that digs into that era of music and pulls from the abyss of what there is to offer there, and that evolved into this podcast. Each week on this podcast, I'm going to talk about one artist in depth from the early Y2K era. So think of like year 2000 to 2009. And it's likely going to be an artist that you haven't thought about or listened to in a while. I absolutely hate the phrase one hit wonder because I think it's actually demeaning to an artist's work. And a lot of times situations like that have nothing to do with the actual artist and more to do with the team that they have surrounding them. But The artists I'm going to chat about are really going to pull at your nostalgia strings. And you know, my goal here is to really open up people's ears to these artists again. Maybe you'll have only listened to an artist's biggest hit, but then you hear more about their story in one of these episodes, and you go back and listen to their entire discography, or just like a whole album, and then you discover more music that you fall in love with, and it's fresh. That's the ultimate goal. Go more in depth, listen more, rediscover, different artist every week. And with that, for the very first time, let's dial in to 1-800-Y2K. This is episode one, Sky Sweetenham. Sky Sweetenham was a punky pop powerhouse in 2004. She was writing her own script, but operated unscripted. At the height of Avril Lavigne's pop rock supremacy, 
there were a lot of other punchy, rocky women that released albums in that era. And I'm going to assume that many of them were likely inspired by Avril's boldness. The public reception of her first two albums wasn't common. People loved her. Young girls wanted to don their own white wife beater and tie. And popular radio stations were blasting her music on aggressive rotation. Skater Boy, My Happy Ending, Nobody's Home, Complicated. But Sky Sweetnam popped into the scene amidst this wave of rock ear candy. You likely know her from her smash single, Tangled Up In Me, which I honestly still listen to multiple days a week. It's a heavy hitter on not only my Y2K playlist, but just my general library. But before dropping that hit, she made her US debut with the single, Billy S. I actually didn't know who the song was referring to until quite recently when I was listening to her debut album, and it's actually a little nickname for William Shakespeare. I was kind of expecting it to be a boy that maybe wronged her, or like something along those lines, because Sky's MO was always very punchy and in your face. The Shakespeare reference gave the song a sassy undertone, and was overall just a super catchy sound. The single itself didn't make an impact on any US Billboard charts, but it did hit number 15 on the Canadian charts. And as a native of Canada, this was Sky's first showing in the mainstream realm. She was debuting on a major label, Capitol Records, and it seemed like the label really wanted to push her into the Radio Disney-esque machine. This was right in the midst of Hilary Duff's reign on the Disney Channel and she was pushing to shift more into a rock realm around this time, so I guess it makes sense why Capital thought that Sky would find a lot of success with this demographic, but, and as Billy S. demonstrated, there was just more edge to her artistry. Sky's sound wouldn't just appeal to tweens. There was a real opportunity to take a single like Billy S. and boost it across mainstream radio. The track lands at a spot on the soundtrack for Mandy Moore's film, How to Deal, which is honestly a terrible film, but it was a cool atmosphere to bring listeners to the fresh-faced Sky Sweetnam. But her label continued to delay the release of her debut album, without public reason, and I've always wondered if it's because they didn't know how to market her in an Avril-ruled market. Listen, there's always room for more powerful women in rock in this industry, and I don't know if that's actually the reason why her album was continually delayed, but I think that Sky would have been more than successful if her album had been released on the original timeline. The tracks on her debut album, which I'm going to delve into more in a few, had a super fucking awesome taste, and they contain elements of not only rock, but pop-punk, alternative, pop. It was a blend of influences that had the potential to propel her to punk stardom. Cue Tangled Up In Me. This song is a fucking smash. It's one of those tracks that you want to break the repeat button for. It has edge, feistiness, energy, everything you want in a perfectly crafted pop rock single. I wish that this had been released as her debut instead of Billy S, because this one clearly resonated with her target demographic more. Who didn't want to be the girl kicking the coke machine? <laughs> it brought on her first US charting, and even though it didn't make a massive impact on the charts, it didn't really matter because it became one of those culty Y2K tracks that everyone knows. There was obviously no social media back then, except for MySpace, but there wasn't a space for music to really spread like instant wildfire. Twitter, TikTok, those are the kinds of spaces that would have sent this track into space. But it got extensive radio play on Canada's Much Music, and it had a really straightforward rock and music video that featured Sky performing in a bold live band setting. With Tangled Up In Me, she was quickly thrust into the pop major label machine. She didn't quite have the I don't give a fuck attitude as Avril, 
She was a bit lighter, a bit girlier, but Sky Sweetnam still wanted to make noise. And she did just that through her debut album, Noise from the Basement, which dropped in 2004. One of the most notable moments of that album is her cover of Heart of Glass by Blondie. The album is full of charismatic originals, but I think this cover is what really boosted Sky into this wild-hearted, unpredictable domain. She wasn't just going to be another body thrown into that pop machine. She was playing the game by her handwritten rules. The album wasn't an explosive chart-topping release, but it landed her a crucial high-end tour support slot opening for pop queen Britney Spears' Onyx Hotel tour. Nowadays, big pop tours like that always take out artists that sit in a similar genre. So bringing Sky out on this run was a really cool move, and I've always wanted to know if Britney herself had anything to do with that decision. Probably not, but I would just really like to know how involved she was with that selection, if she was at all. MTV wrote an article in 2004 about Sky and her experience on the Onyx Hotel tour, which was unfortunately canceled after a slew of shows when Britney injured her knee. But Sky's insight was striking. She said, quote, I come from a musical theater background. Yet on stage, I'm throwing around the mic stand and acting like a wild woman. I love catching people off guard. That's why opening for Britney was so great. I was playing for people who had no idea who I was and I had never heard my music. And by the end of the set, a lot of them found themselves really getting into it." End quote, as directly quoted by MTV. It's such a great way to approach an audience that might have found an artist like Sky to be out of their usual range, right? Like here comes a young, punky, rockin' solo artist, a woman opening for the queen of pop music, who at that time was getting super experimental in her own sound and grabbing onto hip hop based production in her album In The Zone. You wouldn't necessarily expect an artist like Sky Sweetnam to open up this high-budget, extensive pop production. And it's something I really wish that I got the opportunity to see. 11-year-old me would have been amped to see a girl on that large of a stage rocking out and playing these punk-based original tracks. And I'll bet money that young girls who did attend that tour felt like they were watching someone who understood them. Sky wrote her debut album, Noise from the Basement, when she was just 14 years old, so it made perfect sense that her sophomore album, Sound Soldier, took on a more evolved, electro-based turn. She heavily collaborated with writing trio The Matrix for the record, who also played a heavy hand in Avril Lavigne's debut record, Let Go. There was a stark difference in the reception between this album and her debut. I honestly don't think that many people know that she released a follow-up to Noise from the Basement, and that's because it wasn't released in the United States. Which is bullshit, just saying. It was always weird to me that Capitol Records had this young, marketable artist who had just done really well with her debut and like pretty much shelved her follow-up album outside of Canada, which is where Sky is from. I delved into this a bit more, and I found a really insightful interview that Rock Show Critique did with Sky in 2012, and they asked her directly about what happened with Sound Soldier. She told them that, quote, I had done the whole record with Capitol Records in the States. Then, it just so happens, because of the industry reorganizing itself with MP3s, around the second time my second record was supposed to be released, Capitol Records went through some major restructuring. Within a week, I went from the idea that my record was going to be released worldwide to the fact I was on a shelf and they weren't going to put out my record. When all of your support's coming from the record label and they're looking at the numbers and figures about how well your album did versus how much money they spent on you and the figures don't add up, sometimes they're not so quick to give you a second chance. So I was kind of put on the shelf. 
My home country obviously is Canada. So I went to my label in Canada and I was like, hey guys, I have an awesome record. Do you think you could put it out? So my buddies at EMI Canada put it out and also released it to Japan, end quote, as told to Rock Shokrati. So basically what the fuck, you know? It's terrible when this happens and it happens a lot to artists with their sophomore albums. Now it's a lot different because instead of relying on pure album sales, labels rely heavily on streaming numbers, TikTok, social media impressions. Album sales are no longer the basis of an artist's success. But the release of Sound Soldier lined up almost directly with the iTunes boom, and every label realized then that they needed to completely restructure in order to match up with what iTunes was offering. It's a fucking shame. Sky's second album held on to this cool as hell fuzzy pop sound, and there are a few tracks on the record that could have had a big impact on mainstream radio. The album is available on DSPs, again, that's all digital streaming platforms, so I'm ordering you to go take a listen to the body of work that she created mostly with The Matrix and a couple of other incredible collaborators and give it the ears that it deserves. Although Sound Soldier marked an era shift for Sky, she found her sweet spot, no pun intended, not long after with her new metal band, Sumo Psycho. Fuck yes, once a budding pop star, Sky Sweetnam took on a heavier role as the band's lead vocalist. Although the band does have some pop backbone, it's a really different vibe than her previous solo work. This pocket suits Sky. She still holds onto that bold-faced punkiness that she introduced in 2004 with Billy S, but Sumo Psycho is even more in your face and fun and hard and cool. The band has released 25 singles, which is insane, and three albums, so they've covered a lot of ground since they started in 2011. With Sumo Psycho, I feel like I'm watching what Sky could have been as a solo artist if her team had taken her into a totally different demographic. She always had this edgier, courageous mindset and performance quality that could have easily fared well in the Y2K era, but I think a lot of labels were afraid to take that leap because Arista Records already had a hold on that edginess with Avril. It was a market that didn't want to abandon their resident queen of punk, but like I said earlier, young girls at that time, including myself, would have loved to see more of that style in popular music. It was relatable, it was comfortable, it was bratty, it was everything that tweens and teens and just young adults in general ate up like candy. The age of the polished, shiny pop star had like almost just vanished by that point. There's a really great article on Vice that I came across when doing research for this episode, and it delves more into how Sky takes on a multitude of creative roles with Sumo Psycho, something that she wasn't able to do while signed to a major label as a teen. She's taken back control creatively, now working directly with graphic designers, photographers, and other members of Sumo Psycho's team, whereas before, her label, which is a large major label, had their own plan and creative vision. There's a section of the Vice article that talks about how Sky's debut album cover was chosen in a focus group that consisted of 12-year-old girls at a slumber party. <laughs> and it was a bit off-putting. The introduction of the digital revolution in the music industry, especially iTunes, was ultimately the primary reason for the collapse of Sky's working relationship with Capital. But I think they made a grave mistake in putting her work in the hands of a demographic that didn't really have the maturity or depth to understand the type of life situations that she was writing about, right? Like, the fact that Skye is so aware of and mature about what happened with her pop career 
and she transformed it into something new and exciting. Something that feels natural to her shows that she is an artist, not a moldable young girl that can be thrown into a pop machine without any kickback. Sumo Psycho is a collective vision between her and her bandmates, but she has the freedom now to release music when they want to, go on tour when they want to, write their own course of action. She's taken on the stage name Sever, a name that's let her shed previous skin but still maintain her own persona. And to me, it seems like that's what Sky has been destined for throughout her entire career. The freedom to choose and the freedom to create and the opportunity to craft her artistry in a way that remains bold and feisty. Okay, that was so much fun. <laughs> I really hope y'all enjoy this episode. Go and listen through Sky's 2004 album, Noise from the Basement, and her sophomore album, Sound Soldier. Her band Sumo Psycho is also just like so fucking cool and they're currently active. So if you want to go and delve into their discography as well, all of their music is available on all digital streaming platforms or DSPs. Just doing this, starting this up, writing the episode, I'm living in such a fun and colorful world. So I hope you listeners also felt like you've been transported back 20 years. I already have the next few episodes planned out with artists that I'm going to talk about And I have a solid list going of artists to write about in the future, but I want to know who you want to hear about. So let me know on socials at IamRaviv across the board. And yeah, let me know your ideas. Preferably artists that aren't as well known or like didn't blow up on Disney Channel because I really, really want to use this space to give listeners a fresh taste of something that's somewhat familiar, but also may not have been completely explored in the past. I really want to tell you guys who the next episode is going to be about, but you're just going to have to wait until next week and tune in for episode two. That feels so annoying to say, but I'm just like so stoked about this platform and I want you guys to be just as excited to tune in every week. Thank you all so much for tuning in to the premiere episode of 1-800-Y2K. If you like what you're hearing so far, I know it's early on and you could hate this podcast as I keep releasing episodes, hopefully not, but please subscribe. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and share with all your Y2K obsessed friends. See you next week when we travel back to the beginning of the millennium. This is 1-800-Y2K. You want to know more, more, more about me. I'm the girl who's kicking the coke machine.